Welcome to the NS North Podcast. My name is Philip Kaskrain, and tonight Dan is on assignment. So I'm joined directly by speaker Huda Idris. How are you, Huda? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. So uh, can you tell a little bit more to people about what you, who you are and what you do? I'm like this average chick, and I build products. Uh, that's kind of my shtick. What kind of products? Often mobile. Um, I'm pretty industry agnostic. So I got my start in the entertainment industry uh, at a company called Wattpad, did my stint in fintech, and now I run a health tech company out of Toronto. Oh, okay. So fintech, is that uh, something like Wealthsimple or something like that from Toronto? So I was first at Wave, which is a small business accounting uh, platform, and mm -hmm. then I joined Wealthsimple. So if you're from Toronto, you can't escape the fintech world. You kind of have to do a stint in it. Uh, so those were mine. So this is like when you're in Ottawa and you have to go to Corel for some reason. Oh, absolutely. Because Corel is everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Wave and Wealthsimple are two things that I use, so I'm, I'm glad that you were able to do some work there. I'm glad I was able to create a product for you, really. Fantastic. Uh, so uh, you, you mentioned that now you're uh, you're in the health industry. So what is Dot Health and what does it do? Yeah. So Dot Health is a really simple concept. We allow Canadians to access their own health data from hospitals or labs or clinics, um, and it's a simple concept because it's already the norm in uh, finance, even in transportation, uh, but healthcare seems to lag behind. Um, and we started about two years ago, uh, and we've made an enormous uh, amount of ground. Uh, to date, we've helped just thousands and thousands and thousands of Canadians uh, across the country um, access and engage in their own care. I, the, the, um, the medical industry is not, notoriously bad for some of these technical things. Like, I think they rely on faxes a lot. Yeah, health is interesting, right? Because it's so personal for people. Um, especially in Canada, we hold it very near and dear. Healthcare is almost part of our national pride as Canadians. And so every time someone even touches healthcare, it's just there's a public outcry. Um, there's this perception that there is no private enterprise in healthcare, which is completely false. Um, so a lot of our work is actually a little bit of um, an uphill battle in educating uh, both providers, so healthcare providers like hospitals or doctors, um, and uh, the end user, so the patients typically. So they would use your services to be able to access all of their health data in one web page, mobile app, something like that. That's exactly right. So we're um, we 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 call ourselves a platform. We're mostly mobile, so the, it is available on the web and you can view it, but very limited functionality. Uh, even though we started off as a web platform, actually we uh, changed it to be uh, mobile first initially, and then mobile only. Uh, because if you think about it, when people are walking around with their health information, you tell me what's easier, carrying around a laptop or your phone. And given the rise of mobile phones, it kind of makes sense that you would have access to, to that for the phones. Often devices, personal devices, are exactly that. They're personal. So storing personal health information, which I would argue is the most sensitive of all data uh, captured about a human being, uh, why wouldn't we put it on a personal device rather than um, perhaps a laptop or a computer, which 
can be shared uh, amongst many people, but phones rarely are. And they're typically less locked down by the general public than they are by, you know, pros. So whereas phones are by default fairly locked down. Absolutely. They're often, it helps that platforms uh, like iOS and some some of the newer Android devices have um, security features built in that allow us to almost piggyback off of them and including .health's own two-factor authentication, it just adds another layer of security that we wouldn't be able to have necessarily, say, on a laptop device. So touch or face ID, for example, uh, is a really uh, great thing for us to be able to layer on top uh, of our system. So speaking of, of personal data, I, I completely agree with you that health is probably the most personal data because it's the one that really uniquely identifies you and can't really be replaced, right? It's it's where you've been, whereas financial data is terrible if you lose it, but you can recover from that. It might take a long time, but you can recover, whereas health data, if it's out there, it's it's gone. Absolutely. I think um, with health data, a lot of it comes down uh, to two things. So there's the, the data privacy aspect of it, which, you know, is often the first topic of interest for people when we talk about healthcare. Um, and the other piece, though, which I think we don't talk about enough, is data integrity. So data privacy is one thing you don't want, perhaps, you know, somebody who's going through a, a difficult procedure, uh, or somebody, you know, a, a, a female in a new job doesn't want to let, for example, her workplace know that she's in her first month of pregnancy for fear of being let go or something. That is a matter of data privacy. Data integrity is, you know, if someone gets into your health record and say changes your blood group, and that's what an ER doc looks at when they're trying to give you a blood transfusion, that's a matter of life and death. So data integrity is a really important part uh, of of health data, um, and you know, understandably, people are people are quite concerned about it. And at Dot Health, obviously, we have to take it super seriously. Um, and it was a large large part of what we spent a lot of time on uh, early days of the company. So, how do you handle like? Is it I can understand the viewing angle, like you can gather uh, health data from trusted sources to present it to a user so they can view it, he or she can view it. Uh, But that seems to be a view-only operation. What if there's a problem and you want to change it? How do you handle the sync back, essentially? So .health is a read-only platform, and we don't write to any systems. So today, the way the healthcare industry sits, and it's very different given uh, the country that you're operating in, in Canada, largely, um, healthcare data lives at the healthcare provider, and it is sometimes, not very often, shared with the um, with the patient or the end user, uh, as we like to call it. And so, there are lots of EMR companies. That's electronic medical records companies. There are lots of provincial viewer type projects that each province has taken on separately um, that allow for this data to be shown to healthcare providers. So your doctor has a much easier time looking at your health data than you do as a patient, which as a concept is a little bit ridiculous, but that's the way our industry sits today. What DOT, the gap that DOT tries to fill isn't for the healthcare service provider, which is why we don't write back to any systems. Right. We're not trying to write information into a provider's electronic medical record. We're merely trying to bring the information that exists in an electronic medical record, often locked up, 
to the patient in a view-only format. So yes, there can be errors. One in five people, in fact, see errors um, in their health records. But in order to change them, you'd have to go back to the source. And patients are able to, via .health um, and our, uh, our support system, can go through and log a request for the healthcare service provider to change uh, information. Um, but we mostly put the two parties in touch and don't go beyond that in brokering the relationship. Right. So that's if, let's say I, I have a, an error in my phone number for uh, for my uh, tax data. I, I don't just change it on my tax form. I have to contact the tax, tax authorities and tell them via separate channels, actually, my phone number is this, right? So similar thing. That's exactly it. That's a great parallel for sure. So you mentioned uh, privacy. Uh, how do you handle privacy on your own end? It, I don't want to nerd out too, too much, but I'm very, very interested in the, the technicalities of, of that because... You can make things that are uh, readable by a lot of people within your company, even though they're all, they might be all, they certainly all trusted, but they, there are other, other means of achieving the same goal. So what, can you talk a little bit about how you're doing that? Yeah. And again, this becomes a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a black hole in discussions. Um, so I'll try to keep it. Um, I'll try to keep it high level enough Perfect. Um, so that we don't fall in that trap. Um, when it comes to data privacy, what we're obviously taking very seriously is privacy on our end and policies that govern the way we treat data that comes through and the way that, um, the way that our end users are looking at data is also set up in a way, you know, we, we do, we do, um, industry best practice, um, things like, recommending what a strong or weak password is. We have two-factor authentication. You can turn on your phone security feature on top of those things. Um, and then, of course, um, there's a there's a quite a large part of the .health platform is being able to share your health records. But that, from a security and privacy perspective, is just another way, uh, is just another vulnerability. So the way we, that we uh, protect against that is we don't allow uh, sharing um, indefinitely. So there are times that you can share it for. So for example, you can share your latest lab result with your doctor for a month max. Um, so your doctor doesn't have that file or your caretaker or your family member doesn't have that file just sitting around on their device or on their account forever. Um, you also, as the user, have the ability to revoke this consent at any time. Um, and we think that's super important because the ownership of the data should live with the patient, not with the doctor, not with the hospital, not with their family member. It should actually live with the person who's either legally um, allowed to hold it, which is often the patient. Um, and of course, internally, we have a litany of policies uh, as well as compliance um, with all of the federal and provincial regulations that govern um, personal health um, information. Um, in Canada, in uh, Quebec has an R ARPPIS, I believe is the acronym. Uh, in Ontario, it's PHIPAA. It's similar ones uh, across the rest of the country. And then PIPIDA um, is the federal legislation. So we comply with all of those. We actually have an external um, third party that does penetration testing on our systems uh, three times a year. Um, and gives us reports on vulnerabilities that we need to be able to um, uh, fix and gives us a rating that we actually share with any and all of the partners that we trade data with. Um, so it's a, it, I mean, security and privacy.health is a really large aspect of what we do. And 
I mean, I've just scratched the surface. I could go on forever. Well, I, you know, of course, I, I, I kind of admit that this would be a core competency of uh, what Dot Health does. Mm -hmm. Not something you want to outsource or treat lightly. <laughs> you sure. would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you are the CEO of Dot Health, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. So how does one get to be CEO of the company? Does one just uh, start the company and, and do that? Or because you came from uh, other companies? Or uh, what was your path? So I'm also the founder. So that's easier. That's an easier to be a founder and CEO is a much easier path than just being a CEO, I will admit. Um, and when I started it, I mean, there's a there's a couple things that I think need to be true. And I will I will say I will say this um, and happy to go on record with it is that I care about making the mission of dot health a success, whether that means I am the CEO or somebody else's to date. I have been the person that can combine a couple of things in order to push the company forward. That's not necessarily going to be the case forever, and that's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I think recognizing what you're trying to solve and then being self-aware enough to figure out if you have the skills to get a company uh, to that stage um, are pretty key points to becoming uh, a CEO of any organization. So you are obviously pretty technical. What was your uh, what's your background in the in, prior to being in Dot Health in terms of education and what uh, what um, kind of roles you were playing? Yeah, I went to engineering school at the University of Toronto um, and uh, came out of engineering really wanting to look at problem solving where I could really get my hands dirty. So often <laughs> engineers will go into consulting, which um, is their prerogative, but wasn't for me. It didn't feel like I was close enough to the problem. And so I found myself in roles that involved me working on either building a product like writing code or building a product as in designing the product. Uh, and I found myself really attracted to the design end of things. It just gave me endless amounts of energy. Um, uh, it, it's it's just a, such a liberating um, thing to be able to imagine the world as it is right now and then imagine almost a utopia where the problem that you're trying to fix trying to fix is solved. Um, and I, I love, I love that the sort of living in those two worlds is a, um, is, is an incredible, uh, incredible feeling. And I think incredible privilege. Uh, so yeah, I've, I'd always been involved in roles that had me building, uh, some kind of consumer facing product. Um, so all the way throughout Wattpad, uh, Waitville Simple and at Dot actually is the one company where, because I'm on the, I have a different role. I'm the CEO. I, I'm on almost the business end of things rather than the product end of things. Um, so that's uh, very ironic. So have your employees uh, uh, limited your commit access yet or uh, yeah. that sort of thing? Um, I mean, I obviously have. I think I think lots of things would like fall apart if I found out I didn't have GitHub access. Um, so I have it, but I'm, it's it's mostly there to appease me. And it's been a while since I've written production-ready code. So it's not like I'm trying to get in there myself. Um, they haven't. They've been good about it. They do, they do other things to try and limit me from doing things where, you know, I'm going to drop the ball or... Um, they can do it better, faster, uh, which is, which is almost always true. Everybody at my company is way smarter than I am. So really, why would I be writing any code? That's, that's, I think that's the correct attitude of having is like, you want to hire people that you will be amazed by, as opposed to people that you'll be, oh, I know exactly what you're doing. I could do that in my sleep. Right. So. 
No, for sure. I actually learned that the hard way where, you know, Dot Health has not had a lot of turnover, but we did early days realize that some people that we had brought on, uh, that was exactly the case. Where if I can do your job better than you, you're probably not um, not the right person uh, for our stage of the company. How, how big is Dot Health at this point? How many employees are roughly? So we're a team of uh, 20 full time uh, at the moment, and we all work out of our Toronto office. So that's really a, a lean startup mode. You're, it's very, that's very exciting. You think that's lean? We're two years old. I think it's huge. <laughs> I actually, every time I say this out loud to somebody, I have like a mini panic attack where I'm like, oh my God, why are we at double digits already? Um, if I could help it, I would like do it with like three people only. There's a saying that says if you walk in the door and you actually don't know what the, the next person that you meet is, you, then you're you're starting to grow beyond what the lean startup is. That's fair. Or when you start to have an, a real HR department. Yeah, we're not there yet, which is really fun. And I know everybody's names and a lot of stuff about them. <laughs> the, a lot of the people that we um, that we work with, of course, because we spend a lot of time together. Um, so yeah, we thankfully have not hit that stage yet. So it must not be easy for you because this this dot health is kind of your baby, but your baby has to grow at some point, doesn't it? Um, I think that's fair. I also think as um, founders and builders of organizations, we have a choice. We have a choice of how we want to build our team. Um, if we, if you know, we wanted to at Dot Health, we would do what some other health startups have done, which is raise lots of money and only work exclusively with big pharma or insurers. Uh, we've chosen not to do that. Similarly, we can choose to grow as quickly or as slowly as we think is necessary. Um, and I'd like to think that's what we've done. We've been as lean as possible in our growth. Um, I, would have, I will, of course, always want us to be um, leaner. So, so that's, that's my job, but also my um, perspective um, as the CEO. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be everybody's. Uh, we don't have to share that. But I'm of the opinion that small, tightly knit teams build incredible products um, and know their customers a lot better than large, sprawling teams. Uh, and there's so many examples of that in the real world. That's true. And, and you have to have variety. If you don't have variety, then it, it, the world is kind of boring. For sure. Um, how did you find the the uh, transition from uh, essentially engineer to CEO? That uh, was that there's more business you mentioned, and there's probably less code. Is that uh, hard, different, or uh, simply just the way things? Yeah, it took. I mean, it took about five years for me to you know from going from being like a fresh grad working on um, design at Wave. Um, to working mostly on product and then doing broadly product management uh, as CPO at Wellsimple and then to this at Dot. So actually, it was a nice transition. It wasn't too abrupt or too jarring. The only thing that I sometimes miss is not, I now no longer feel like I'm part of the design community, which is a big hit for me just because I've always considered myself a designer. Um, and now, um, even when I get when I get speaking requests or like interview requests, people will often reference me as like a business person before they'll reference me as a designer, which I understand why that is. It just hurts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try not to make that mistake then. <laughs> um, so um, speaking of design, where, where did you get your influences for design? Is it uh, part of school? Because engineering and design typically don't go that well together. They're not all squares and angles. 
Yeah, I kind of wish engineering is a lot about design, actually. And I kind of wish um, the engineering schools did a better job of explaining that because I mean, engineering education at the core of it, and I'll try not to harp on it too much because we all know I'm a fangirl. Um, engineering education at the core of it is linear problem solving with like creativity thrown in for e- like in equal measure. That's basically what they teach you is they teach you how to solve problems in almost like a like a linear iterative fashion which is great in the world of design and prototyping Um, and then on top of that they teach you all the different ways to think about a problem which i think lends a lot to creativity so i credit um u of t engineering for a lot of my sort of design thinking habits but also lots of influences um from outside you know we i I did industrial engineering so we actually had a ton of um human-centered design philosophy that we learned uh while in school um which was really helpful in shaping how i thought about it everything from physical design like the ergonomics within a within an automotive vehicle uh all the way to software design where I remember in second year, we built uh, an infotainment system um, in collaboration with the MIT Media Lab. And I thought that was fascinating. Um, And I think uh, it goes further, further deep, I guess. So it goes deeper than that. Um, Not only is it talking about sort of visuals, which is an important aspect of design, of course, but not the only aspect. In fact, the last step a lot of systems thinking actually goes into an engineering education. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out how the process behind the GUI uh, is working. So the graphic user interface is working. And once you have the process figured out, the GUI on top of it becomes easier um, versus having kind of a, and I can name so many products that do this poorly, having a really difficult process in the background and then slapping on a UI on top um, to try and fix it. That almost never works. So what you're saying is that design and engineering are actually just two facets of the same thing. Absolutely. I think, I think engineering is design is what I'm saying. So I I don't know, I don't know where we've gotten this idea, which I, I recognize is a thing where engineers are apparently like formulaic. Um, whereas I actually think they're, um, they're, they're creative people. It sh- we should just let engineers express their creativity more than just following uh, recipes, right? I will say one thing, though. Engineers in general could be better communicators. So there's that. I think designers are often great communicators, visual and otherwise. And engineers are often not. And there are ways to fix this. But, you know, typically that's not the case. It's a learned skill. You you can learn that skill. You don't, you don't have to be... Uh born with it right some people are naturally good at it but it's some, definitely something you can learn absolutely it's just engineering schools don't do anything about it or they view that as maybe less important than some of the rest yeah it's considered like i'm making air quotes it's considered like a soft skill which i think is complete bs by the way i think um the reason we are where we are in tech where we've created lots of um, products and services and platforms and networks in this world, uh, which are you know not very thoughtfully built, discriminate uh, unfairly against lots of people. We've built that because we have um, underestimated the importance of soft skills uh, in building technology. I just view soft skills as just being skills. Yeah, absolutely. I think, honestly, people who are in the world of technology or comp sci could do well with taking more humanities courses than the other way around. That is something that I will totally put my weight behind. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, so when you're 
uh, not doing uh, lots of high level business and uh, and uh, running your uh, small company. I would I will say to <laughs> just content you. You're kind. What do you do when you're not uh, not at work? What does that mean? <laughs> not at work. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's I'm I'm saying that because I'm always working, uh, which is probably not very healthy. And everybody's like, blah blah blah, work-life balance. And I don't know how to do that. I actually am quite bad at it. Um, so there will be like there will be lots of ebbs and flows. So there are days there will be like strings of days where I will literally only come home to sleep, and I will be in the office the rest of the time. There are other days where I'm not in the office very much. I'm actually running around the city. Um, in any downtime I get, I actually love playing video games. It's this, I've always done it. I got into it when I was a kid. And if any, if I have the time, I will sit on my bum for five hours and play video games straight, like no problem. Um, and it's a great way to still be, still have your mind like engaged, but on something that doesn't require it to work too hard. And also that's completely disconnected from the stuff you normally do. So you can escape. Absolutely. So like the two, the two things, if you were to like have me point them out, my two hobbies would be like video games. And then I'm a giant plant head. So I have like way too many plants in my own house and at the dot health office, um, which, which my friends tell me looks like a, an extension of, of my home, which is interesting. Um, we have more, trees than we do people um in that office and the office is not that big that's uh that's a uh, not a trivial amount of trees then oh it's incredible let's have let's have good o2 getting there and <laughs> all the chlorophyll working yeah it's uh we have some of the cleanest air in toronto <laughs> yeah well in toronto right <laughs> in toronto being the operative words yes yes well that's fantastic well thank you very much huda for joining us tonight thank you for having me really appreciate it and we look forward to hearing more from you uh at ns north and it's coming up fast we have just closed the uh the sales but we have uh, late tickets the only thing is that we won't be able to guarantee you'll have a t-shirt of your own size but uh please come and join us at nsnorth.ca And uh, we'll see you in Montreal at the end of April 2019.